Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the That's Canon Podcast. I'm Jack Auger, and with me is my boy, Jacob Sherstrom. And we are here to talk movies. We're here to talk movies, Jacob. We've done it. Let's chat. We've done it before. We're going to do it again. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, I'm getting a number of competitive offers from competing podcasts, so I might jump ship. We'll see how it goes. What? Yep. Who? Well, I didn't want to make a big deal about this, but, you know, a friend of the pod and occasional collaborator, Barack Obama, has asked me to come on to his Bruce Springsteen podcast, and I'm seriously considering it. I need my Secret Service detail back, and he said that he would give it back to me if I joined his podcast. I will, you know, I'm not going to keep you up to date on the specifics. You're an afterthought. We all know that I'm the star of the podcast. And if it works out, it works out. I'll have my agent call you. This is the only time that Jack and I ever speak, by the way. Outside of this, we are not friends. We don't talk. And uh, we only communicate via each other's agents. And so, like I said, my agent will be in contact with your agent. And I won't have to speak to you any more than normal. So, yes, that's a... We'll see how that goes. I'm waiting to hear back from Barack Obama's people. And, uh, you know, I'll keep you in the loop. But, uh, like I said... I won't keep you in the loop. That's not true. My agent will keep you in the loop. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I was going to see how long I could just be silent for. <laughs> um, well. So this might be the beginning of the end. But, you know, we'll see. We, uh, we've we had a good run thus far. And like I said, if I get put by a rival competing podcast and these things happen, I'm in it for the money. I don't even <laughs> particularly like movies. So, you know, I mean, it's whatever. Eventually, I was going to, you know, do some other media project, you know, the highest bidder. That's really all I'm concerned about. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, you're, I think you're selling our relationship short a little bit. You know, we had a business lunch today where we, mm. we accidentally ran into each other can, at a burger place I and can neither confirm or deny. And, and we decided to have a formal business meeting, you know, where we just talked business figures, secu- uh, security detail. We talked about all this stuff. Today at lunch. So you're. We had that today. Yeah. So you. So I informed you of the the competing podcast offer then. So I'm not dropping this on your head now. Right. But but you're. But you know. It's an issue. It's an issue. Yeah. I need I'm, you to stay. Well. I need you to stay. I'm a superstar. Right. You know. So, you're the Kevin Durant of this of the podcast world. Exactly. Hot commodity. The greatest of all time. Exactly. Um. Uh, hey. By the way, how's your uh. How's your average weight? Oh, you research gang. You won't like it. Oh, is that right? Is <laughs> you it... won't like it. We'll get into it later. Though. Okay. Okay. But um, uh, re- real quick, I had a running. Uh, I've ha- I've had this assumption that I've never factually proven before that the NBA has gotten smaller, and therefore, when you have a beast like LeBron James, and now with this smaller NBA, um, it's even harder to stop him. And so I think that that kind of allows him to pad his stats and appear better than he actually is. And I've done some average weight, you know, requirements or like uh, not requirements, uh, statistics on like from 2003 when LeBron entered the NBA to now 
um, kind of just using those two years as an example. But uh, but yeah, the, the the average weight of the big three of like you know your forwards and your centers um, has has dropped by like thirty pounds. Wow! So there you go. So yeah, yeah. So so, so I've always said this. And just, you know, done the eye test, but Jacob called me out on it and saying that that was bullshit. But, uh, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do the research. And, and I did the research. I haven't seen this data and I still we, think that that's inconclusive. We, but We will get into it later. Okay. But this is not the sports podcast. No, no, no. We, we have, I mean, you, you probably are on other sports podcasts. Of course. We're talking movies here. We're talking I movies. do a podcast every day, you know. Right. To just build my brand. Again, like I said, can't stress enough. It's all about building your brand. It's, it's all about... It's a really important time now to be a brand. Yeah, and you know? and we're influencers too. That's another... I really like that word, influencer. Have you... Have Okay, I forget. We talked about the Bo Burnham thing. You need to watch the Bo you Burnham. You brought it up. Yeah. You need to watch it. This is a little irony, by the way. Influencer is a word that makes me like physically cringe when people... <laughs> call themselves influencers or use that word. I don't I I don't know why. Like that one is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Anytime someone talks about being an influencer. Friend of the podcast, my roommate Ryan. He um he went on this like just rage for like 10 minutes the other day about how like frustrating it is that there are people that just are influencers and therefore have an easier life. And like they no, get to, it's and, insane. Yeah. And and I'm like, that's like that is justified to be like, wow, that's annoying. But like, he doesn't want their life, you know. Like they have an easy life in the sense that like they get to go to clubs and get paid to like appear at clubs and yeah. like just party. But like, that's not what Ryan wants to do. Being an influencer would not help him with what he wants to do. So like, why? Like why? So why be mad? Why yeah. be mad? You know? I don't. It's just like I mean, I guess it's just like about the state of you know, society or whatever, that there are people who like, I'm going to go on Instagram and see what like so-and-so is doing so that I can do that thing. Not, not necessarily even because I think it's good or cool, but because like he is, it's like cool by default. He's doing it. So it's cool. And it's like, I don't know. That's like a bummer to me. I only, I've never posted on Instagram and I only follow people that I know personally. So like, I don't, I don't, I don't really get Instagram. I only made an Instagram in like 2019 again, just to follow people who I, you know, am friends with. And like, I, I, I there's like a culture behind it that I just like, don't understand. You know, the influencer thing doesn't make sense to me at all. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just a boomer, I guess. I got left behind on Instagram. <laughs> when I was in college, I so I had Snapchat very briefly, and I, I abandoned Snapchat because their Android app didn't work. And then the new thing was like Instagram. So this was like in 2013, you know, this was Instagram was coming around. And I remember I like, I had Twitter and I had Facebook and I'm like assessing Instagram and I'm like, I'm going to pass on this one. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be on Instagram. And then it blew up and it was the big thing. And I was like, I can live with myself, not, <laughs> not understanding what's happening on Instagram. That's, you're you're not fine. much of a social media presence though. Like I in general, I don't know? like posting, you know, it's interesting. I, so I, I always thought of myself that way. I don't post on social media. That's the thing. 
when I was in, when we were in high school, I posted a lot, actually. I posted on my wall and statuses a lot. And I, you know, like poked people and commented on things. <laughs> Periodically, I'll get one of those, you know, like reminder posts from Facebook. And I'll be like, wow, I really did that. Okay. And, but like, I was like scrolling through my post from like 2010, you know, the glory days. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, it was like a ton of stuff. I interacted on Facebook a lot. I didn't really remember that. I guess I'd like pushed that out of my head because I was just like cringing, you know, so hard yeah. that I, I, I decided I didn't want to remember that. But like, yeah, I used to be on Facebook all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I post, but I mostly post about this podcast. This is yeah. mostly what I do now. I honestly my, my... <laughs> hate Facebook so much. I think that Facebook is like, I think that like in a hundred years when society has like collapsed and, you know, we're in like an apocalyptic world i think that like the history books will be like it'll be like pre facebook and post facebook and like post facebook is like the decline of the human race is going to be like i think i think we're going to be able to like tie it to facebook and its existence and like everything negative that happens in the world is going to be like directly related to facebook i have a question for you Let's hear it. so talking about just mega corporations which is relevant to what we're about to talk about anyway you have companies like facebook right and companies like amazon do you think at any point in time that amazon and facebook will be one thing and under one roof and if so if you do which one's going to be the one on top uh no i don't think so they're the thing is right they're like Zuckerberg and and the other guy, the bald guy, Bezos. Uh, Bezos are megalomaniacs. That's the only way that that company can ever exist and get that big is if you, you know. And so I, I don't think that, that it'll occur. I don't think that their brains will let them do that. Will let them be subsumed by another person. Well, but what if what if it's like the end of their life, right? Like like what if like Jeff Bezos is going to uh, die they, in five years? Like, that's that's in, in the way they they have to sit on top of it to the greatest extent that they can. This is their empire. This is their legacy. This is their entire existence. Their death is the thing that, that, that above all else is that makes them want to, you know, create the biggest thing humanly possible and then own it and then sit on top of it. So no one else can have it. Now there's, there's no way that, that in death, they would say, we'll merge them. There's no way. Okay. He all wouldn't, right. he wouldn't let it happen. That would be the thing that bothers him more than anything in the world. At least my conception of Jeff Bezos in my head. Fair enough. I, I do think that Amazon is kind of like, I think that Amazon's going to be the thing that swallows everything else. Like, like whatever it is, I think that Amazon will eventually own like Disney, like, like probably not. It any, could happen. Maybe not in like my lifetime. Maybe it'll be after, but like, I don't think Amazon's going away at any point in time. Yeah. And like, it, we'll it, have to say, but yeah. it has it has the benefit of like not just being a media outlet like it's it's where but like, I think in a way that's a disadvantage shopping. because like oh I think it's more you have more people relying on it but I mean it it true and false but I think that like because it's not a media entity primarily that I think that it puts those things on the back burner which makes it harder for it to uh compete with disney unless like you said it just it but i i mean disney is its own thing and i don't think that they'll ever really just buy disney i think that like things have to die for 
for them to then be purchased by Amazon. I think that like there's things that are too big for Amazon to, to consume. Disney, I don't think Amazon can't buy Disney. They can't buy Facebook. Well, they, they can't right now. I'm not saying but that the this only is way something... they'd be able to do it is if Disney then shrinks to a point where like, why would Disney, you know, I mean, I guess you could get the historical back catalog or whatever, but I don't think that, like I said, that, that Disney would have to shrink in order and like, which would mean like a drop in, you know, the sort of public perception of their brand. And I, I, I don't, I just like, I guess I feel like I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. I and Disney's agree. on the move. Disney's moving up. No, I know. Disney's I know. trending Every, in the I, exact opposite direction for Amazon to consume them. And I know that I'm not saying that this is anything that'll happen soon or like even, even in maybe 50 years, like probably not even then. But like, I just think that Amazon is just putting itself in such a position where it will be able to control everything like you have stores now right like you have like they have like fucking convenience stores that like you walk in and you can just take stuff and like it just subtracts the total from your like amazon account like it's like it's insane like it's and and i I think think that that stuff like that is what is going to like if they can make themselves like that if they can make it so everybody has to rely on amazon for your essential needs then I think that at some point that that will they'll be able to consume whatever they want, regardless of how well, big I just it is. think that there's mega corporations. You know, I think that's the thing. I think that Amazon, like you said, becomes basically the one company that controls everyone's lives in America. But I think that um, as far as other mega corporations go, I don't think that there will only ever be just one. I think that there's enough diverse interests and enough people that that we can support several mega corporations instead of just the one. Well, let's hope, but let's also move. We've been talking about this for a yeah, while. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. So, so Amazon, we didn't talk about this last week, but we should have, but Amazon bought MGM, which has been on its way out for a long, long time. Um, MGM, I think filed bankruptcy a while ago, and I think they've done it a couple of times, okay. maybe, but with that, Amazon, got all of what MGM has to offer, which is quite a lot. Um, but most notably, they got your beloved Rocky franchise okay. and the James Bond distribution rights, which is interesting. There's like a bunch of, I don't know, it's all complicated. Who has the right to do what in the movies? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really well, get how it all works. Well, the so James Bond is like interesting because it's owned by this family. They're called the, the, the Broccoli family. Their last name's Broccoli. Okay, that's... And uh, and and so they can like choose, I guess, like who makes the movies, makes the James Bond movies. But like Amazon has like the distribution rights, so like they choose where it ends up. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's a weird James Bond is a weird situation because okay. of that. But like that's like there's like I think. Oh. I don't know, there's, I want to say there's like 19 James Bond movies, maybe like 20 or 21, something like that, and they're all like under, like in a canon, right, like in the James Bond canon, but there are a couple of films, those are all by Eon, but there are a couple of non-Eon James Bond movies that they've just made over the course of time, like like one time was with Sean Connery, came back after like, I think Roger Moore was the James Bond, but like in this non-canon James Bond one. They like had Sean Connery come back that and 
do that in like the because the, the broccoli family can do whatever they want with James Bond. So I'm not entirely sure why or mm, how. Okay, but well, there you go. But congrats yeah. to uh, the broccolis. Do you, you like know. James Bond? Are you a James Bond fan? They're fine. I uh, they're a little inconsistent. The good ones are good and the bad ones are bad. And I'll how, go. Which which ones have you? Where I've seen all of them at least. The Daniel Craig ones, all of them at least once. Um, the the one that I really like is Casino Royale. I okay. thought the is the most recent one is the one with Christoph Waltz, right? I couldn't tell you. I've only seen Casino Royale. There you go. And, the, well, and I saw Quantum of Solace. The Christoph Waltz one is fine. Um, I wasn't actually thrilled with his performance as a Bond villain, which was weird because I feel like he's like made to be a Bond villain. And the next one has Rami Malek in it, who I think is terrible. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not excited about the No they, Time to Die. They tend the... to alternate. They usually it's one good then one bad. Every other one is is my sort of experience with the uh, so. So you think this could be uh, breaking the pattern? This breaking might, the pattern this might be too bad. two bad ones in a row. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. You know, like I said, I'll I'll check it out. It's uh, a cultural force. They've been putting it off for a really long time, obviously because of COVID. Um, I will say, you know, th- so the other thing that goes along with James Bond is the song, right? Right. Who does the song? And this one was done by Billie Eilish. No Time to Die, it's called. And you know what? I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I like Billie Eilish's thing. Right. I like Billie Eilish. I think that she's pretty good. Well, fuck yeah. We got ourselves a modern. So there you go. I'll watch it at least. It's time for a new James Bond, though. Dan, I like Daniel Craig, but uh, I think that he's getting old. And I think we need a new new James Bond. Yeah. I mean, what? This will be his, like, fifth movie, I think. Like I mean, that's about how many... Pack it up, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, Let Daniel Kaluuya be James Bond, dude. dude I would love to. I would that love would for sick. there to be a black James Bond. Yeah. Like, uh, like there's a, oh, for sure. Idris Elba's one I saw. There, yeah. There's like so many. There's so much like, like uh, just like fan hate about the idea of taking like a traditionally white character and just making them black instead yeah and um, like like there's like i think most recently is like the superman michael b jordan said he wants to play superman and he was already black um human torch who is traditionally white right yeah and like and it's just like it was comics in the 1940s you know people weren't making black like they weren't making black superheroes then like it took a while for them yeah, to get you know, around to like, doing that. Yeah, and why like, not? Like you said, why not? Yeah, you know? it's, it's like, and it's fiction. Yeah, that's the other exactly, thing. Yeah, it's like there's these rules. Have you seen the like discourse about the black elves in the yes. Tolkien thing? Yes. It's like who cares, dude? It's made up. It's fantasy. Why can't? It's like there's rules about what elves can be. Like <laughs> you're making it up as you go. Who cares? I'm, who cares if elves are black? What does it matter? Yeah, and like, and it, and it especially just because. You know, again, the, Tolkien wrote those books in like the nineteen twenties. Yeah, like, cares? like it, it was a different world where people weren't thinking about black people. Yeah. Like, and and they weren't like, hey, you know what would be really good if I made sure people were aware in nineteen twenty when I'm writing The Hobbit that one of the dwarves was black. Like, like that yeah. wasn't a thing that crossed their minds. It's a thing that can cross our yeah. minds, and so we can do that. Yeah, and also, but like, it's like the, like the rules of fantasy or whatever. Like, there's rules set out in fantasy, and like black people can't be elves it's like well who cares what yeah, what no, rule yeah. are you talking about yeah it's it's a bunch of bullshit yeah it's a bunch of bullshit so yeah we 
at the That's Canon Podcast, we support black elves. Black elves yeah. matter. Well, I wanted gay Superman. Yeah. I wanted Superman to be gay. I wanted gay Godzilla and Kong. Yes. Like, oh, absolutely. We, we want... Get we, weird with it. Yeah. I say get as funky with it as yeah, possible. exactly. Because, because who cares? It's the because movies, who man. cares? It's the movies. It's it, Hollywood. The real life is weird. Right. Our existence is weird. Uh, in Barton Fink, we'll get into it. Existence is hell. It's painful. It's agonizing and so you know what why not have a gay sex scene with superman and godzilla you mean su- superman and batman crossover or oh oh you're just like superman and godzilla cross uh, do it do crossover. it up. who cares exactly. i don't care i don't We're care only on I life want the, i want the vin diesel yeah. john cena gay sex scene in fast nine exactly like it's even incestual though, even though they're brothers yep incestual that's weird yeah. Never, now that I'm saying this, maybe we shouldn't promote incest. But, yeah. But I mean, like, maybe they're just like. But here's the thing. This is the key. This is the key. You have to do it. Uh, you have to just like, and it's not, it's really more about the way you explain it. Cause like, you just have to uh, have it be artistic. Right. And right. you have to explain how their incest explains some, you know, American values system or something you know like like i said you just have to have some high-minded way of thinking about it and then people will be like oh the the incest symbolizes the way that america cannibalizes itself whatever yeah that's all you gotta do yeah that's all you gotta do you just have to have a high-minded intellectual explanation for your thing and then like you said you can have john cena and vin diesel have an incestuous gay sex scene why not you've notoriously shit on directors yeah but that right there was the most director thing I've ever exactly. heard Exactly. See, like, see, but that's know. the thing. It's as cynical as it gets because the entire, like, that's the, I'm just like, say it's, do something <laughs> insane and then call people insane when they don't understand it. That's, <laughs> which, which, that's the key. Speaking of, I talked about this at lunch with you today. I have to bring it up. Okay. Aloha. Cameron Crowe's 2015 hit movie, not a hit movie. Aloha. Swing and a Miss movie. Swing and a Miss movie. It doesn't make any sense. And he genuinely believes it is his masterpiece. That's this because, is that's, this is the guy that made Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous, and he thinks this movie, Aloha, is his masterpiece. And it doesn't make any sense. It does not make sense, Jacob. And I can't wrap is, my head around it. Well, actually, if you have the correct take that Almost Famous is not that good, then it does make sense that this guy doesn't know what he's doing but, and uh, sh- sort of accidentally inspired people. And so now what he did is he uh, made a movie that he thought was good, but he doesn't have any clue what's going he on. He already won an Oscar by the time Almost Famous came the, out. Uh, you know what else won an Oscar? That stupid Green Book movie. That's the Oscars true. don't know what I they're doing. I, I didn't Judy like Garland <laughs> won an Oscar and, and you know, no one, no one saw it. No one has any idea if that movie was good or not or if she was good in it because no one watched it. The Oscars are garbage. They're garbage in the exact same way that the Golden Globes are garbage and the other thing that we were mad at the other day, uh, the BAFTAs. It's all garbage. <laughs> Awards are garbage. Hollywood gives them to themselves. They, they, it's a secret ballot. They declare it. Who knows who watches what? There's no way to know. The Oscars are trash. Okay. Who wins an I'm, Oscar? Who cares? I'm, I'm with you. I am with you. However, however, I'm just saying Cameron Crowe can make better movies. Maybe. And he has made better movies. Maybe. He and has then he made, made one movie that I think upon further reexamination doesn't hold up. I haven't seen Jerry Maguire, uh, I'm investigating this now, but I think it's possible that it's also trash. So, oh, I've recently watched it. I, I like it a lot. But, I will say, but but here's the here's the thing. Aloha 
and I recommend everybody that's listening to this stops what they're doing, goes <laughs> and watches Aloha. Um, but the thing about Aloha is it's like Tommy Wiseau level bad. It like Tommy Wiseau level doesn't make any sense. Like it's like if Tommy Wiseau made this movie, nobody would be like everybody would be like, yeah, this is about what I'd expect from him. You know, I watched The Room. I've seen this adds up. But that's the thing. This has Cameron Crowe, a famous director within like Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams, uh, fucking Alec Baldwin, Bill Murray. Like this is like a huge cast. And I just like, I do not get it. And not only is it a terrible script and terrible acting, the other thing is it's got like terrible, like camera movement. It's like shaky at times. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's ridiculous. I will watch it 500 more times. Look, Cameron, like, but- <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like I said, Cameron Crowe is a director, which means that he should be treated with contempt. And he made Almost Famous, which was his magnum opus to this point, which, like I said, my correct take is that that was already overrated. I'm sure Jerry Maguire is bad. So if you follow that logical conclusion, then it makes sense that Aloha would be bad and that he wouldn't understand. And he would think it's great because I'm smarter than Cameron Crowe. And this is the fundamental truth that we have to understand. I'm smarter than Cameron Crowe. I'm smarter than basically every Hollywood director. (laughs) Who, who maybe Scorsese. I won't give myself Scorsese, but everyone else. What about Kubrick? He's dead. So he doesn't count. Okay. All right. All right. But you're smarter than everybody, but Scorsese. Yeah. What about Christopher Nolan? Yes, for sure. (laughs) Not, not a question. (laughs) Well, um, you know, Almost Famous, that had Francis McDormand in it. Francis McDormand has done a lot of movies with the Coen brothers. We... Oh, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not smarter than the Coen brothers. There you go. Okay. All right. So, so, but we have decided to watch some Coen brothers movies, all three of which I was shocked that you had never seen. Uh, one was Barton Fink, which we both had not seen. Yeah. But then The Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men, which are two movies that I... Love. Sort of classics, yeah. and and I was kind of shocked that you hadn't seen them. But yeah, overall takeaway on all three movies, you know, like don't get into details. How'd you feel about your Coen Brothers experience? Uh, I thought they were good. And here's the thing: I think we're gonna have to keep an eye on these two because they got some good. They got some good <laughs> ones in the tank. Yeah, dude, I'm- we might have well, like so. In the future, I think that we need to revisit the Coen Brothers because. Some of the new stuff I haven't seen, um, and, but, you know, you still haven't seen Blood Simple, which is their first movie. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen Raising Arizona, which I think is, like, amazing and hysterical. Um, and also is, like, one of, like, Nick Cage, is, like, Nick Cage back when Nick Cage was, like, a good actor before he was, like... Hey, man, don't front. Nick Cage is, uh, he's still got it. He, he he's is... still got it. So, real quick, funny note about Nick Cage that I think is hysterical. He... Um, will not do TV. He won't do it. He was offered The Sopranos. He was offered the the main Tony role, Tony Soprano. Really, and he declined it because he is not a TV actor. He's a movie actor. I literally cannot imagine anyone other than James Gandolfini. I mean, I can't either. But like Nick Cage was, he was offered Breaking Bad. Like he was offered so many That's things, insane. and he's like, I'm not doing I'm it. Not I'm doing a movie it. actor, and he'll do 
any movie like Ghost any Rider. movie i could i could <laughs> be like nick cage i have a movie right now i heard you're not doing anything in the next six months and he'll be like yeah All right, I'll sure. do it. Like, i read that he believed long that he was the Ghost Rider while he was filming it he like like a method actor thing like he believed like he he was Ghost Rider that doesn't surprise me at all i love nick cage I'm a big i love i love him but it's it's just insane to me that like that he's like i'm a movie actor and I'm i not, won't yeah. do tv yeah. tv that is like tv that went down in history he was he oh, yeah, was goat, offered goat level stuff like, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. offered these roles that's insane and he was like no, no way. i'll instead do Ghost Rider. Like, yeah. I won't do The Sopranos. I'll do Ghost Rider. And um, also... That miserable remake of... Uh, what's the horror movie? The Bees. What? You know, uh, The Wicker Man. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see that, but like... That yes. one went down in history. The original, quite good. Saw, saw this movie, the this um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft movie he did last year. I think it's... Um, uh, the color color of something okay but anyway it was awful it was not good and and i was watching that and nick cage gives a pretty good nick cage you know he does he goes full on nick cage which go. is which i appreciate but it's uh it's wild it's just it's it's insane it's insane the the stuff that he'll like stoop to but like won't do yeah. tv like is and and he's a he's a i don't know if you know this I, a Coppola. He's a Coppola, yeah. I did know I, that, yeah. I learned that, like, within the last couple of years. But I was like, he's a Coppola. But he yeah. changed his life. He's a stage he because he, he wanted to do yeah, it on his own. He wanted he wanted to, to achieve it on his own, and he did it. He did it. <laughs> he you know, the, it. the thing is, he, like, challenges, like, to me, like, what a Hollywood leading man is. When I like close my eyes and I think of like a leading man, you know, it's like Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, you know, these like guys, perfect tense, chiseled jaws, charismatic in this very, you know, I think type of way. And and like Nick Cage is like comes through. He looks like any guy you would ever see on the bus, you know, like, <laughs> like just, a, and that's not even an insult. He just looks like a guy. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's like, what if we put him in these like billion dollar movies? What if we put this? And it's like, and, and they're huge, right? And like national treasure, you know, these movies yeah. are enormous. He's a huge A-list actor all over the place. Like you said, can't stop getting work. And it's like, why? <laughs> and I'm not even talking about acting ability, but it's like, there's like a thing that actors have, you know, like this, like you can, you can see like, like they, they just have a, they're just like, it's more than attractiveness. It's like a, it's like attractiveness plus this Hollywood vibe. Right. And like, I, I don't mean to talk trash about Nicholas Cage, but like I said, he's not a, like a perfect 10. He's no. not, you know, chiseled from marble like these other guys are. And like I said, he just comes out and is in these enormous movies and you know has a a big fan base and I don't know I don't know what it is about him I don't know how and and so like I don't know what to take away from that is you know maybe <laughs> anyone can star in a movie maybe it doesn't mean anything maybe maybe movies are or you know maybe you could have any guy off the street star in but but like like we said he is a Coppola and like Hollywood knows that but like like, like but people like, don't have to go 
that's the thing. You know, I didn't know he was a Coppola. You didn't know he was a Coppola. And guess what? I we still we still got all his dumb, stupid movies. We still see him. He still, <laughs> you know, makes these insane movies, and people buy it. That's like the thing. People believe it. People like, you know, Nicolas Cage is a product that is sold to us, and we buy it. We don't have to do that. We could just toss him in the trash. There are far worse actors or far better actors, far better looking actors, more, you know, regular type of Hollywood guys who've been tossed in the trash. We buy Nicolas Cage constantly, every day, every year we buy Nicolas Cage. Well, the why we, is that? Well, we need to watch Raising Arizona. Say? We have to watch Raising Arizona okay. because that is prime Nick Cage. And he's fantastic. And the Coen brothers are fantastic. And so, yeah. So we so, so so let's let's talk let's talk about the Big Lebowski. Okay. The Big Lebowski is hands down one of my favorite movies. I put it as a perfect movie. Um I think that it's you know, we watched Fargo last week and it's basically like in like Fargo's hysterical, right? And and but Fargo is still like a serious it's got a crime plot, like a serious plot where like the Big Lebowski is kind of like more in line with Raising Arizona, which you haven't seen, but like, it's just, it's just funny. It's, it's funny. It's got a light plot that is interesting that keeps you engaged. But I mean, like it's, it's joke after joke after joke that in my opinion, lands all of it. You have crazy characters. John Goodman is amazing in it. John Goodman, John Goodman's fantastic. Like I think that he's he's actually kind of another interesting type of actor because he's really that being fat in Hollywood usually doesn't really play and if you are fat then you're a character actor who's that is your thing you're a fat guy and you're like a comic relief type guy and John John Goodman kind of has I feel like he set up the sort of newer waves of bigger guys your Jack Blacks your Jonah Hills yeah. your Seth Rogans to like do real movies yeah. and I feel like. That's one. He's like as a bigger guy who, who can be a sort of lead role. I think that's interesting. So t tell me your thoughts on The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski is interesting because it's not really about the plot. Like the, the plot to me, it's sort of like, so in Tenet, I hate Tenet and I thought that it was terrible. But there's a part of Tenet, uh, one of my least favorite parts of the whole movie where they say, um, don't try to understand it. Um, and I hated that and I thought it was terrible. And, but it, that's, that is applied to this movie, but it works because it's a farce because it's a joke. It's funny. So like the plot doesn't matter. Like the, this, these insane things that are in like really challenging to work out what's happening and to connect it all befall the dude every day constantly. And it's like, you, like I said, eventually you just have to like give up on understanding who is connected to who and why things are going on and how things are unfolding. Because like I said, it it, it it's insane. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you're left with is these individual characters and, and each of the characters are like very richly detailed and insane and, you know, have a lot of weird quirks and, you know, like one of the funniest gags in the movie is John Goodman's character being Jewish. <laughs> that is is like so funny. He's like, you don't stop being Jewish just because you get divorced. That scene is classic. <laughs> that is so funny. And it's like, it's like, 
I can't I can't even imagine how you conceive of this because it's like you have this because he's like an archetype, right? This sort of Vietnam veteran guy who won't right. stop talking about Vietnam. He has, you know, and then it's like, oh, but what if he's like, you know, this like meathead Vietnam veteran guy who's also Jewish, but by marriage, like, I don't even know how you come up with this idea, but it's like, it's so funny. It's executed so well. Yeah. It's like so good. And he acts, uh, <laughs> he's, he's so funny in that movie. If you could hang out with anybody in the Big Lebowski for, for a night for like you, you got from, you're meeting them at 5 PM and you're getting home at 2 AM. Or not, you know, but like, what, what, who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? The thing is, my, your gut is the dude, but his life is too insane. Too much crazy stuff happens to him. I don't think it can be the dude. But do you think that, do you think that too much crazy stuff happens to the dude in general or just this one? But who knows what his life is like outside of this? I mean, yeah, yeah that's fair. You know, no, I, th- I think that he probably gets into shenanigans based on the way the movie unfolds. So I would pass on the dude. I, Walter is too intense. I, I couldn't hang out. Pulling a gun on people yeah. in the bowling alley. Yeah, the bowling alley because his foot slipped over the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would pass on Walter. Um, you know who I would be? Brant, the butler. Yeah, I was, that's I was, who I would that, pick. That's, that's exactly where I was going to go. My absolute, one of my favorite gags is that like, so he, the dude is constantly asking people to call him the dude and no one will do it except for Brant. Brant immediately <laughs> is like, oh, yes, sir, the dude. He like, it's so good. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is so funny. And I love that. I love that. I love that he's in his, and it's like not a joke. It's like very earnest. He's like very enthusiastic about serving this guy who we find out to be an enormous loser. Right. And, uh, He's like I said, he just loves it. He's just respectful. And he's like, oh, you're the dude. All right. Well, I'll call you the dude. Right. Yeah. So I picked Brant. That's that would be the guy that I'd hang out with. That's 100% who <laughs> I was going to say. I, I, I now feel like I'd have to change my my answer a little bit. I wouldn't mind hanging out with John Turturro's the, the Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Um, oh, well, actually, wait. He's a pedophile. Never mind. Never mind. I, t- I take that back. Look, um, man, Epstein, you know, you got to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I really, in general, I would like to hang out with John Turturro. I think he seems like such like a fantastic yeah. guy. Like he does everything. He's and, wild. Like, That's yeah. And he's, he's good. He's, he's all like, over the place. And he's yeah. good. He he's, does have good you stuff. Seen, uh, you haven't seen our brother Warren, though. Yeah, I have. Oh, you have. Okay, yeah. well, he's great in that. Yeah, he's great in that. He's great in Do the Right Thing. And that's true. He's he is, a, he's yeah. in a, he's in a ton of Spike Lee movies. Um, he uh, what's the name of the movie? Jungle Fever. Have you ever seen Jungle no. Fever? Um. It's a, it's really good. We, I, I was gonna say we need to do a Spike Lee episode, but we already did this. We Spike did. Lee did episode. Yeah. We'll come back. We'll come. We'll, sure. Maybe we'll one day we'll just do like decades, you know? Okay. And like we can just like random great movies of like the nineties or whatever. And there's so much. There's so much. We would we could do whatever. Yeah. We we're a movie podcast. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, John Turturro plays uh a guy in jungle fever and he has to go on a date or he doesn't have to go. He wants to go on a date with a, with a black woman. And, and, uh, it doesn't end up very well for him. Cause like the people, his people, the Italian people kind of beat the shit out of him. Um, cause he's, uh, there's, they say he's like a race traitor, but it was, a uh, and we, that's what sets up his character to be racist in do the right thing. No, th- that came out first, technically. Well, look, I mean, it's a prequel. <laughs> well, they, a uh, they also have different names. The prequel to the sequel. Yeah, but it's a spiritual thing. Okay. All right. 
But but anyway, but then this motherfucker goes and does Transformers, like yeah. like, and he is and, he'll, and he plays he he plays De Jesus the pedophile in like this like insane one piece bowling yeah. suit. He's incredible. That's, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He has no shame. And I love him. I love him. Kim, it's, you know, one of the things you, you watch always sunny. We've talked about it before. Yeah. yeah. So Danny DeVito on that show is like, so he's by far the biggest actor on the show, particularly when he was cast as Frank. Yeah. Um, he was in another league in terms of fame and like, cause that was only like their second season. No. Yeah. It, like, it was some, just some random show on what FX or whatever. Yeah. And he comes in and the things that they have him do and say on that show, he is like as degenerate and insane and degrading <laughs> as you could possibly get, but he still does it. And like that to me, I respect that. I respect someone who it's like, yeah, will you like cover yourself in goo and like slide around on the floor? And it's like, even though I'm a Hollywood movie star, even though I'm a multimillionaire, yeah. Even though I I was, I could get a dub, stunt double to do this. No, let's yeah. go, and yeah. they just sell out for any insane thing that and, they ask him to do. Yeah, and and he you know grows his hair out to like that. Dis- it, I mean, it looks disgusting. Insane, That's like yeah. the thing that always bothers me about Frank yeah. is like just I'm like please like Terrible. how do you, like d- rip out the hair, yeah. rip it out. But do that's something. the thing. It's it's <laughs> all about he, yeah. He gets like sopping wet and like hides in like. A fucking leather couch, yeah, <laughs> like naked. Uh, exactly. Just comes no, new nope. again. Nothing. There's nothing to degenerate, and that's the thing, right? I John respect Turturro, exactly. Yeah. Like you said, sells out to do any insane thing that's asked of him, and you gotta respect it. You yeah. gotta, you gotta respect it. So, so the Big Lebowski. It starts off with the dude getting his rug peed on. Yeah, that's how the movie kind of begins. So it's like when it starts getting set into the action. So you're the dude, all right? What, okay. do you, what do you do? Guys come in, throw your head in your toilet, ask you where the money is, pee on your rug. What are you doing? Where do you go from there? But, I mean, the thing is, I feel like it's almost like a commentary on destiny and, and fate because I, I feel like he doesn't really even do anything. I feel like he'd, like... You like they ask him to do stuff and give him millions of dollars and you know all these things and he just like goes bowling like he like that's and like that's like what I'm talking about the the entire plot of the movie happens to him he doesn't like go do anything and so like as far as what I would do you know if I I think that hypothetically if I were put in the same place it would either one it would nothing would happen because the entire movie is predicated on him not doing anything or the exact same thing would happen because it's his destiny to have that happen to him. Yeah, so but, I don't think it even matters. But I'm asking you, what would you do? I mean, if, if, if some, if, if somebody someone, threw your head in the toilet, gave you a swirly, and I mean, peed I'm, on a, your rug. I'm a stay, I'm a non-confrontational guy. If they did all that, I throw away the rug. I say, look, you got the wrong guy. And they worked out that they had the wrong guy. And then I just live my life. But again, like I said, this all this all comes to him. This all happens to him. <laughs> yeah, but he does go seek out the rug. He to seeks an, out a new rug. Yeah, but I it mean, really tied the room together. Yeah, and he does seek out a new rug. And but the thing is, but because of him seeking out yeah, the new rug, it like that's lays why it, and happens. yeah, yeah. So the, and that's what I'm saying is that like it all happens to him. He 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 is sort of a victim of fate and of circumstance. And of forces beyond his control, and he doesn't know that these that in picking out this new rug that he's prolonging his own, you know, sort of role in this insane series of events. You know, he he has no idea. He has no clue that that's going to you know lead to this bizarre, wild 
goose chase that he gets sent on, he doesn't know what's happening. And so, you know, like I said, it's just his destiny to just be roiled up in all of this. And so as far as what I would do, it doesn't matter. Fair enough. All right. Back to the action. Yeah. No, let's get back to the action. So no country for old men. We normally, I feel like we normally do things in the order in which they were released and we're now going in the order that we watched them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, these aren't a franchise. It's fine. Yeah. Just watch, do it. Talk about it however we want. Right. This is America. So no, no country for old men. Yeah. I, so I kind of think that we kind of picked like these, the perfect, like three movies or like we watched Fargo last week, but like Fargo, Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men because I see Fargo as basically an alternate version of either the Big Lebowski or No Country for Old Men. I definitely where, view Fargo and No Country for Old Men as related. Right. But like but like Big Lebowski is just the funny part of Fargo, right, without the serious plot. And then No Country for Old Men is just the serious like killer thriller version of Fargo and Fargo doesn't even take place in Fargo. Not even related, but that's fine. Right. But that's what, but, but so no country for old men. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. I love it. Hilarious. I think it's, (laughs) that's not what I meant to say. It's hilarious. Okay. I don't mean, I guess. No, 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 I don't think it's hilarious. I think it is good. It is exciting. It is thrilling. I also think it's amazing. I liked it quite a lot. Is it your favorite of the three that we watched? Um, of these three, I think I probably would say it's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, what did you love about it? You know, it's. Uh, I think that it's like a great story. It's a great villain. I loved Anton Chigurh. I love him as this sort of like, you know, I feel like philosophically it's pretty similar actually to Barton Fink in a way, but I think it's like about like existence and death. And I, I view Anton Chigurh and I th- I've seen a lot of people say this is like sort of the grim reaper, you know, he's just sort of there. He's stalking you. There's he, he is inevitable. He's going to, he, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You know, he, he just is lurking and no matter what, no matter what actions you take, you know, you always end up at the same place, which is on the other end of Anton Chigurh's cow thing. And he fucking blows your brains out and there's nothing you can do. That's existence. And, and even if you can't avoid him, even if you can, to the extent that you can't avoid Anton Chigurh, even if you can't avoid him, it doesn't matter because then you're just going to get iced by uh, cartel mafia gangsters. And, uh, you know, existence is, is pain. It is suffering. And, at the end of it, all you do, you know, like I said, you know, you try and do the best by your family. You try and do what you can, and then you try and cut a corner. Nope. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Yeah. But I have a question for you. What's your question? Why do you think he let Tommy Lee Jones live? Tommy Lee Jones went into that room, and we know he was in there. We know Shigur was in there. And totally. I mean, like you said, like nobody, nobody gets away from him. That he doesn't want to get away. Like he and he would have caught up to or I think it's safe to assume he would have caught up to Josh Brolin at some point. Um you know, I mean he he had he had the whole wife situation. Like he was like I mean he was gonna use that as leverage. He was gonna get it. But he didn't need to because he got wiped out without him. 
but he was in there and easily could have taken out Tommy Lee Jones. Why? I don't know. That's but any fate, any that's, hypothesis. That's fate. That's fortune. It's you know some, sometimes he's not feeling it. So, you know he flips a coin. You know sometimes it's not your day to die. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know Tommy Lee Jones is a character who I, I actually think that his character is really great. And, I, I agree. And and. You know, I, I think that he is the only person who really assesses any of this correctly. You know, I, I don't think that Sugar really thinks about it at all. Josh Brolin's character, I think, is just wrong and just, you know, dooms himself. And then there's the the real sort of, I think, like, opinions and ethos of Tommy Lee Jones's character are spelled out when he talks to the other sheriff guy. And he's like, you know, things have always been this way. We've always killed each other. It's our, our you know, nothing's changed. You know, people put bones in their noses or whatever, but at the end of the day, you know, the way we treat each other, the, the, you know, it's all the same. I, and, uh, and I, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's divine intervention. Maybe he is being rewarded for, you know, but he, but that's the point. He, he, he makes it clear that he doesn't understand Shigar and he doesn't even try to, you know, and there's, he looks into the abyss and sees nothing and he just, and that's why he quits. He gives up. He's met his match. And I don't know if Shigur knows that or if he understands. I don't know that Shigur has any idea who he is. But like I said, you know, at the end of the day in life, there are people who skate by. And even those people, right, they live out their days and then they're done, you know. So he was spared by Shigur for a reason. Who knows why? But that's life. It's cruel to some people and it's kind to others. And, you know, it is what it is. I think one of the bigger questions of the movie, though, comes towards the end where you're not sure if Sugar kills Carla, Carla Jean. Oh, he does Kelly. for sure. I think he does for sure. I, I, uh, I personally, I think she is kind of the heart and soul of this movie. Right. I th- okay. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, be, because she's she is an innocent just trapped in the middle of this. You know, she's. Has, never asked to be involved. Never, never asked to be involved, and and also just supports her husband too. He's like, you have to do this because I I'm, she, I'm in this situation. She holds out just as long as she can, and then when she gets the sheriff's involved, he only on the condition that he won't get in trouble. Right. Yeah. And and then at the end, when Shigura's like, your husband is dead, which you know because you yeah. saw him dead, and now your mom's dead. You just put her in the ground, and now I'm here to kill you. And and she isn't like, well, I've already lost everything. You know, like, she doesn't have that mentality of like, oh, well, I've lost everything, so go ahead and kill me. She's like, this is bullshit. Like, what you're doing is absolute bullshit. This coin thing is bullshit. And and I and I just, you know, I think whether... I like to think that he let her live, not because I think he's a good person. I like to think that, you know fate worked out that way I mean, we don't know i don't think we know but uh, i don't think you know definitive I, I i don't i don't see particularly with that line about i have to keep my word i don't see how he could have let her go and then he she does the you don't have to do this routine which we know irritates him as well so i uh i definitely view it as him as him smoking her just it, because he can and and like that wouldn't surprise me but i think that she's She's my favorite part of the movie. And Kelly McDonald's just a fantastic actress. Underrated. Very underrated. But I like her. I like her a lot. like her character. And I like that she stood up to the Grim Reaper. 
You know, I, I think that's a great analogy. Look death in the eye. Look and... death in the eye and, and, and said, fuck you. Like, uh, yeah. not even, like, do it. Because that's, uh, I think you get that a lot in, like, especially, like, old westerns and stuff. Yeah, you just... get, like, the damsel that's, like, yeah, I've already lost everything. I got nothing left to live for. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, kind of a trope that I, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional to go against that and to literally give, like, the exact opposite. It's, like, here's a woman that's lost everything. That was kind of not really in the movie, like, a whole lot. Like, I mean, didn't have a ton of screen time. And I think that up until that point, I'm not sure if I would have said that I thought she was strong or anything like that. Like, I, I don't know what I would have said. Because you're, you're not given that information but you know when it when it counted when it counted she she had some she had the balls on her and i respect her for that yeah so true. i think that she is i think she's the best part of the movie now maybe not the best part but she's she's my favorite character in okay. the movie but yeah there you go that's, uh, i think that uh i i wanted to also there's a parallel here in terms of the setting so it's in rural Texas slash Mexico and you get these. So Roger Deakins does cinematography on all their movies and he did Fargo as well, which is like a photo negative of this. It's like, it's the same sort of barren wasteland type thing. And I think that that's meant to sort of be meant to show, you know, the it's I think there's something about like harsh land makes people harsh or something like that. And you get these sort of harsh people physically and emotionally in both places. And so I, I liked that parallel. That's, a, that's another thing that both movies have in common. Of course, it's the desert in one and then sort of this like icy tundra in the other. But I think that, uh, that this movie is shot really well and looks really good. Roger Deakins is, is fantastic. Yeah. We're, we've, we've are in a, my, you know, I'm in a film production class at the moment and yeah. they, in our book, they've talked about him like 500 times. Like yeah. he's, he's uh he's a genius. Yeah. So, so, any other thoughts on uh, any other thoughts? Yeah, no country for old. Men? I think one other thing I want to talk about. It's very sparse in terms of dialogue and in terms of score. I don't know that it has almost any music at all, and the dialogue is very light. It's basically all just camera magic and acting, and it's. Uh, I think that that's interesting and is very dramatic and gives the the actors an opportunity to shine, and they do a great job. You know. Um, Javier Bardem won an Oscar for this deservedly so but Josh Brolin is great Tommy Lee Jones is excellent um, yeah so I, I liked that the sparseness both of the you know the land and the cinematography but also of the way that the movie is shot and of the you know the decision to like I said have a lot of complete silence a lot of not music at all going on um, that's a not kind of a crappy English language sense yeah having a very little music going on. I right. I enjoyed that, and I think I thought that played into the, you know, the overall sort of nature of the film. For sure, I I think that that's kind of one of the things that just makes the Coen Brothers impressive. Is like you have movies like definitely you saw it in Barton Fink and you know in Fargo and Big Lebowski that are all really dialogue heavy. I would say and 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 musically heavy and a lot in. In all three of those, I, I want to say. Maybe not Fargo as much, but definitely The Big Lebowski and Barton Fink. And and like and it's like fast, quippy dialogue, too. Like, it's like it's a... 
it's the opposite of what you'd expect if like the like, no country for old men was the first coen brothers movie i ever saw um and i remember watching it with uh, my roommate at the time and he was talking about coen brothers movies and like these characteristics of the coen brothers movies and at the time i like none of that registered in my head but then i remember watching the big lebowski and then like raising arizona and like all these other movies that i'm like this is nothing like no country for old yeah like none of these movies are like that and in terms of like the stylistic choices i guess and i mean you you know what i'm saying like in in that kind of stuff like uh dialogue and shit like that and and i just think i just think it's impressive that they have so much range and and then like you know inside lewin davis i think is a really good movie but that also is like pretty light on the dialogue it's a movie about a musician so i mean it's got a lot of music and stuff but you know it's a but that's another movie that's kind of i would say shot more similarly to no country for old men for sure going brothers are impressive yeah they're they're impressive guys yeah so barton fink yeah so we both didn't, we both had not seen Barton Fink. Yeah. And, and I went into this only with the knowledge that Kevin Smith likes it. There you go. That's it. Okay. I didn't know anything else. Arousing endorsement. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I think, I believe he said it was like one of his favorite movies of all time. Wow. So I was like, that's high praise. Like that's, that's pretty high praise for Barton Fink. Um, and, uh, and I, and so I went into it and I went and I'm watching it and you know, I gotta say, after like the first hour, I was like, I really don't know what like the like like it's fine, it's good, but it's not like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like I don't, I was like, I don't know if maybe Kevin Smith has let me down. Wow! And then at like um, an hour, but of and, course, now you know Kevin right. Smith would never let you know exactly. But then like an hour and six minutes, there's like this switch and it and it's like almost like parasite like almost kind of like a switch in parasite where it's like oh and now we're doing this entirely different thing that's exciting and crazy and like it's and not that it's not that the first part was bad it's just like different it's just so different and and it's just like creating a world it's like this is the world we're in we're here and then an hour into it you're like and but this is the fucked up thing that happens that changes the entire world. And I think that, like, having the balls to do something like that, because that goes against, basically, any rule. Convention, of, yeah, Yeah, sure. like, like, that goes, like, that's that's not what anybody would do. So, so I, I think that to have the balls to do something like that is impressive. And then it's just, I mean, it just makes for... It makes for a great, like, last 40 minutes of a movie. Like, because you're just, like, shocked the whole time. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, what's going to ha- What's the crazy thing that's going to happen next? And then you can't take your eyes off the screen. Yeah. Um. So that's my opinion. Barton Fink. Yeah. No, it's great. And I think, I, so, like, this, this is, like, the most, I think, symbolic and philosophical movie that they, they put out. It's all about, like, art and Hollywood. So... We, we've discussed, if you're an auteur, a Hollywood auteur, there's no way for you to not make a movie about making movies. You have to do it. And this is their movie about Hollywood. So this is like 1940s Hollywood, sort of, you know, golden era, you know. And uh, that's what you get. You these like you, you find these great playwrights and you have them write. And, uh, you know, 
and that's that to me is like what it's about is like the the convergence of art and making money and like how do you square this circle and how do you how do you get someone to write something how do you like assign them a project when they're this you know this true artist and they don't care about it and they don't have any inspiration and you don't have and they don't have any guidance they have no clue what they're doing and they're in this new you know and so then he just sort of tortures himself the entire movie. He can't figure it out. And he's in a prison of his own making a hell of his, what, I don't know what the line is that John Goodman says in his little speech at the end, but yeah. you know, Helen that's in his mind. Oh, by the way. So this is one I, there's this conspiracy theory that, that Donnie doesn't exist and the big Lebowski, which I don't believe, but I think that there's a, a case to be made and interpretation that, that John Goodman's character is, is a figment of Martin Fink's imagination in this movie. So I think, uh, I think that's a possibility, but, um, that's what it's all about. I just think it's about, you know, artists and what it means to truly examine existence and the way that people's brains torture themselves, the prisons that they build for themselves. And because that's like, that's really what the, he lives in hell, right? That's the whole, I think, you know, he lives in hell and hell is his brain. And then that's, you know, he's essentially like eternally damned to hell because he just has to sit and live out this contract and just keep writing and keep again, writing things that he doesn't care about that don't mean anything, but he has to put his heart and soul into because that's who he is and that no one will see and no one will know. And he, you know, so he just has to create these masterpieces that no one will see. No one will understand. No one will read. And he just, you know, uh, tortures himself by just merely existing and, you know, that's, that's his, that's Barton Fink's life. Do, did you see, so you kind of, I mean, I was listening to everything you sure. said, but you kind of, I was just kind of blown away by this John Goodman take. Yeah. Did you read that anywhere? Like, is this a thing that uh, people I don't have said? I, it's just you a thing came up that with that I, on your own? I mean, I think other people probably have interpreted it that way. I, but I, I don't think that there's anything. I, I think that enough, in, you know, stuff happens and he's locked in his head and he's, sort of uh you know and it might be like joker where he's like sees a version of that guy and then it changes as he goes insane because that's sort of you know his brain decays and his grasp on reality and his he has one foot left in reality and then by the end i think he's basically completely gone yeah no, and uh, I, so I'm, i think it's you i think it's possible i'm not sure i i mean I, other people i think have said, said said something similar but well i i don't think it's a totally original thought i think it tracks like i think it's that possible. absolutely makes sense no. and also um i think that that it's it, in my head i was just like oh it's like the like more deep and interesting version of fight club like like less overt but yeah. but i mean definitely i thought it was interesting i definitely think that you could read them as the same person also yeah no like exactly. he killed her and then he Although there's, yeah, who's to say? But you don't see John Goodman interact with anybody else other than the cops. Yeah, that's it. You don't see him interact with anybody else. Never with Chet, who is great. I think that yeah. <laughs> I think that his him the saying he, his name was Chet and then like writing C H E T on a business. Card. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Buscemi was a, a fantastic. So, so real quick, something that I just wanted to point out about. The Coen Brothers is, and and it's them and Spike Lee that I think are like these two directors. Or I mean, the Coen Brothers are 
it's a few people in the 90s, late 80s and 90s, that really, like, found so many huge names that are, like, they're huge staples today. But, like, Samuel L. Jackson was very new on the scene in a bunch of, uh, in a bunch of Spike Lee movies. Um, you got, you got John Turturro in both Spike Lee and Coen Brothers movies. You got Steve Buscemi, who I feel like his big break was really Reservoir Dogs, which was Quentin Tarantino's first movie, but that came out three years after this, you know, like it's, and, uh, and you got John Goodman who, I mean, he'd been acting for a while, but you know, I mean, I think that he, well, you know, I kind mean, of propelled, even like, in this one, Racing Arizona was his first movie, right? Wasn't well, he in Raising Arizona? He, he, John Goodman isn't Raising Arizona. I didn't. Know, I don't know if it's his first movie or not. But regardless, but, but he's yeah. uh, that's early in his career, right? And like obviously early Nick Cage too. Like, I yeah. mean, that's. I think that's just kind of crazy. How many? How many people got picked by these? These kind of no-name directors at the time like i mean like yeah. that spike lee's like i mean francis mcdormand right that's yeah francis mcdormand huge like like i think that that's just crazy something yeah. something has got an, they got an eye for talent they, yeah, yeah and passion I, look you know and then and then like you get to have some kind of career like you know scorsese de niro it's like you know you're just always going to have a guy that will do your stuff yeah that's like a high caliber thing you know like it's that I just think that's cool. I just so I thought that was important to say. Yeah, for but sure. yeah, I, I think that I think that 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 really does track. I think that you could say for sure that you know, like if you wanted to, I think you could be like, yeah, John Goodman's absolutely a figment of Barton Fink's imagination. Um, but that's like the way I think it's like a descent into madness, which is I think kind of a common theme in Hollywood, and and. That the way that I looked at it was that he like he goes in he he's isolated he's in this hotel there's no there's no one else there and his only like link to reality is these two people the Audrey and him and Audrey dies and then John Goodman leaves and then you find out that John Goodman is actually this psycho serial killer guy and that's like the breaking point right and that's when he is completely disconnected from reality and that's the only time that he can write and he's incapable of like doing anything at all existing as a person like i said every, his his entire reality is shattered and he just you know that's the end of it yeah you do he now that i'm just i'm just spitball or like thinking um he does talk to chet chet goes up to tell him to be quiet chet calls him Oh, that's right. Chet does call, but still, Chet calls. He talks. Yeah. He talks to Chet. Yeah, I mean, he talks to Chet, but I—that's off screen. It's it's not shown, and the walls are thin enough. It's possible that Chet could have called someone else, regardless. And I think that at the end of the day, he's an unreliable narrator, and so his what we see him see through his eyes is is not necessarily. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Accurate. But it's, I, you know. Oh, that's that's cool. It's whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it. I think it. really it's just an interpretation, you know. And again, and like I said, and there's a point. I, that's when you have a descent into madness. Part of it is this middle part where he is insane to a degree, not completely insane yet. And so you don't know exactly what you can trust and what you can't. Yeah. And so maybe that was at the very beginning. So maybe that was real. And then again, like maybe he imagines the thing at the end. Who's to say? Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's fair. Yeah. I, I think that I just really kind of appreciated how 
you know, in like, in like, maybe it's corny or whatever, but I just, yeah, I mean, they were really big on like writers are like on trying to talk about how like the writing process and that like to get good work, you have to kind of be fucked up, <laughs> you know, like that's part like of that's, it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, and I think that that was interesting as well as, um, there, this obsession, right? Like this obsession that Barton Fink has of like relating to the common man, and then when he's like presented with the common man being John Goodman, yeah, like and he's, him, he, yeah. he will not listen to him. Yeah. Like, like he's like, this is the common man that you should be writing about, right? And like, he this like is... condescends to him, and he yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Oh yeah, and 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 I think that that is kind of just like a perfect analogy of like Hollywood elitism that yeah. like they're well, and they, it's also, um, he talks about making a theater for the common man. I saw this in a review. He talks about making a theater for the common man, but a theater for the common man exists. It's called the movies. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, which he hates. Yeah. You know, he resents yeah. the only reason he does it is so that he can essentially fund his theater theater. Yeah. But that's the, but, but I think that that is like, I mean, I mean the, the, the demographic of people that watch this movies are, is the common man. Like that's, that is yeah. what it is. And so Hollywood is a group of elite people constantly trying to, to like guess, at, to guess yeah. at what the common man would want. Or And like, and you know, we, we have, you know, Michael Bay, he figured it out, yeah. but you know, like the movies have been around for a while, you know, like, like, but it, in, in, it, it's just like, it's always, not always, but a lot of the time it's just this like lackluster attempt at like maybe this is what they'll like. And and it kind of ends up being it's super shallow. Like they don't actually understand. Well that's why they the give point. up and you just make the thing that you already know people like. Exactly, yeah. But and and so so I just I just think it's it was cool to have them comment on that. Yeah. On in in about Hollywood I mean, just the, the, state the Hollywood art, yeah. as opposed to a movie like Mank, right? Which is like, he was always a man for the common people. Yeah. Well, you just didn't get it. And like, right. <laughs> where like, this is like, all of you are fucking champs, you know, like, and, and just call them out. And in 1991, you know, like, I, I, I I just think that's impressive. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm out here repping for the Coen brothers. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. I like them a lot. So any other thoughts? They're good. I like them. Interested to see where they go next. I think they're doing Hamlet with Denzel Washington, I saw. Ooh. So that's not, would have been my first choice. To play Hamlet or to, no, to, for them to for them do? For them to do. I, Shakespeare is a little much for me. Haven't they already done Shakespeare? Did they? I thought they had. Who knows? Well, they're doing it again. And uh, like I said, I'll watch it. I'm yeah, excited just I, because it's them, but like I said, uh, it's not really my thing. Well, I'm going to recommend to you to go into their early movies. Okay. Like, go back, watch Raising Arizona, watch Blood Simple. Blood Simple, I think, is sick. Like, it's it's pretty great. Okay. Um, and No Country for Old Men-ish, too. Like, very much like that. Very similar. Very similar movies. And, like, kind of amazing. Like, the whole time I was watching Blood Simple, in my head, I was like, this is their first movie? Like, it looks great. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't have that first... Off to a strong style. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it, get it, your style. You already know. Yeah. I And, and uh, so, yeah. So, definitely go back, 
watch that stuff, and I, I want to see some of their newer stuff, because mm. I haven't seen any of it. I haven't seen the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I haven't seen Hail Caesar, you know. I try to get you to watch Hail Caesar, but but I think we picked... A, I'm glad that we chose Barton Fink over Hail Caesar. Yeah. Fuck. Um, so, yeah. So, well... So that's our that's our Cohen Brothers episode. Yeah. I'm I'm happy about it. I'm endorsing the Cohen Brothers. Yeah. And so what we got next, so we watched A Quiet Place Part Two. Um and we're gonna talk about that. Uh we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um we'll have that out for you. And then we're gonna see the new conjuring movie um tomorrow as well. And we will do a podcast next week on the conjuring. Yeah. And then after that, we were kind of not sure of what we wanted to do. Um, and you know, I think that we will do fast nine when that comes out, but that's not for a couple of weeks. So my suggestion, well, it's kind of based off your suggestion. You said you wanted to watch this. And then I was like, well, why don't we just do a whole podcast on it? And so you said you wanted to watch eyes wide shut, which is one of the few Kubrick movies I have not seen. And I suggested that we do a Kubrick episode because he's one of my favorite directors. So. I want to talk about what movies we're going to watch. Okay. So we're for sure going to watch Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Have you ever seen Full Metal Jacket? No. I think we have to watch Full Metal Jacket. Okay. Um, then this is where there's a part of me that wants to throw in a comedy. Okay. Um, and so I want to do Dr. Strangelove. Okay. However, with that said. With that said. Dr. Strangelove is like also a war movie, but it's hysterical and not a war movie in the way that Full Metal Jacket's a war movie. Okay. But I don't know if that's too much war movie for you, or if you'd rather do something like Lolita, which is not entirely a comedy, but it is a comedy, and it's got some comedic bits. Okay. But what are you... Where do you stand? Are you down to do both Doctor Strangelove and Full Metal Jacket yeah. and Eyes Wide Shut? Sure. You are? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Peter Sellers is... So fucking funny. Okay. He plays like five different characters in Doctor Strangelove. And, uh, d- sorry, the full name is Doctor Strangelove or, colon, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yeah. Um, fantastic movie. Both Doctor Strangelove and uh, Full Metal Jacket are on my top, like, top movies of all time. Uh, full Metal Jacket for me is top ten. A top ten all-time wow, okay. movie. I love it. And I've never seen Nice Watch Chat, so... There you go. Well, let's see. So I'm excited. I am excited. So, yeah, so we'll have A Quiet Place Part 2 tomorrow. Next week, we'll have The Conjuring franchise, where we're just watching the Conjuring movies. We're not going to get into the universe with Annabelle and The Nun and all that stuff. We're just going to watch Conjuring 1, 2, and The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It. And Bad title, by the way. It, I, it's like Conjuring I the Devil Ate My Homework. It's not yeah, a good title. I, I agree. It's like off to a bad start, but the trailer looks sick. And DC has a comic that came out today or, uh-huh. or yesterday. Did you read it? Um, I, I bought it. I haven't got it yet. It's a limited series. There's f- going to be five issues. The first issue came out yesterday. Okay. And it ties into the new movie. Killer. So I'm going to watch. I'm going to read it before we see it tomorrow. Hey. So sounds great. Yeah. So I'm excited. So so and then we'll and then we'll do the Kubrick movies, and it's going to be awesome. So, with that said, thank you everybody for listening. Appreciate it. And. This is us signing off. Have a good night. Thank you.